Hi, my name is Ian Parry, and welcome to <coughs> The Future, the podcast which explores what it means to be a future leader. We speak with interesting people about topics that matter. In today's episode, we speak about diversity and the dangers of doing nothing. We welcome back the dream team of Romain Foster and Vera Mystery. Hi, both. Hi, Ian. Oh, thanks for having us back. Cool. Um, and I call you the dream team um, because the last podcast we did, um, I thought was phenomenal. Uh, I learned so much, loved the conversation. I was left that night um, and we recorded that one at night as well. Um, you know, I went, went to speak to my wife and I was just kind of, you know, we, we spent most of the rest of the evening talking about the, the things that we talked about, the diversity, the, the stories you both told. Um, and for days after, actually, I was kind of sharing what, what you both had shared with me. Um, so that's why, for me, for podcasts at the moment, you guys are the dream team. So thanks again for, for, for joining us. Um, and and I'll, I'll jump straight into the questions so that people can hear less from me and, and, and more from you guys. So um, remain straight into this then. So um, when we spoke last time, um, we, we ended the podcast with, with a general positive feeling of, of things were improving. Um, but just thinking about where businesses can do more, why do you think that, that both businesses and people um, I, I'm still not wanting to progress diversity enough. Nothing like this. Um, why should they? That's, that's why should they? Yeah, great challenge. So what's the, the sole aim of business? Why does everybody start their own business, their own company? What's the outcome everybody wants? Um, I, I suppose it depends, isn't it? Some people are, are in it to make good things. Money. Some people are making, every, are making money. Every, every, Everybody's in it to make money. So if you're in a position and you've made money your whole career, why at some point when somebody chimes up and says, actually, there's something internally, there's something, there's not, there's not an equal level within your company. And I think you need to change it. You sitting at the top of the tree is thinking, but I'm making 10 million pound a year. I came in here to make money. So, but then you'll have the challenge of, but where there's equality, it opens up a broader spectrum of different people and different ideas and can, push your business further and then the top guy at the top says well i don't want to be i've got my 10 million pound a year so why should i yeah but that's what and you're then, gonna find you're gonna find yeah. there's people sorry um you're gonna find there's people are archaic they're stuck in their ways so if somebody's at the age of well in their later years of their career at that point why should that person change because i always have to reflect and put myself in that person's position i wouldn't change so how can i expect others to it's a I, answer, yeah. I, I agree. I was I was gonna say something similar in terms of uh I think to take Romain's example, even if it's gonna not even affect my 10 million, if it's gonna mean I can't turn my 10 into eleven, why why would I? Because then in my own mind I've got my family or my other what you know, my family, my friends, then my loved ones to take care of or to to a legacy to give back to or things that I want to do with my money, and it becomes a, a selfish enterprise. I think. The other thing that I would layer on on top of that is you it's it's just it comes back to humans or the way that we've been brought up. Um, we're just inherently selfish. Um, I don't exclude myself from that either. I think we all are. And I think the the difference that we need to start making is to really put a line in that. Like, I'm, I'm not going to throw a hierarchy of needs at anyone because I, I don't hate anyone that much. But mm-hmm. it's more... Uh, it, it's figuring out where, where you draw the line morally 
um, and then figuring out how how to give back for the sake of giving back and for the sake of making things more equal and embedding that in what good business looks like. Because at the moment, the only metric that businesses get, even nonprofits get measured by is, is profit and revenue, mm-hmm. um, which is why I think the I, in my mind, like the phrase nonprofit, it just brings <coughs> alarm bells um, mm-hmm. half the time. But um, you're smiling in. I know, I know this is a non-profit, but the point is we're all volunteers. But I think, yeah, I've, I've just, I find it really difficult when I hear at any level, but particularly like at a board level or a decision-making level when diversity um, comes up, it's always, uh, and I hate this word, but it's always around the optics or how we can make things look or how we can turn it into something that eventually gives back, gives money or profit back to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think remains right until, and you know, we, we either have to um, make it more like, I, I, we either have to, I don't know what the word is, um, regulate it to some extent or force businesses to do it or show that there is money and tangible profit behind it mm. um, or change the way that we think. I think it's going to be one of those three or a mixture of those three. Otherwise, why would I, right? I've got my... Mm. I like the 10 million. I've got my 10 million sitting back here. It's a nice picture to paint, mate. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm made. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I think you touched on like the moral compass there. And there's a difference between moral compass and business because I can speak to you guys outside of work and I'll understand where your norms, where your values lie. But that doesn't, that, that, that might have conflict with business. That have, might have con- conflict with, with success in business, with finance in business. So, unless somebody can find that equal balance, they'll have no interest in doing so. So I've worked in companies where you're making the millions, you're making the making profit hand over fist. So they have no intentions of speaking to people and changing anything internally because there's no point unless like Biran said, it can reward them somehow. So it's not like it's a selfless act from the company and then it becomes a tick box because like we will touch on this probably later on, it becomes it becomes the fad, doesn't it? It becomes, okay, then like people are doing TikToks about Black Lives Matter now. People are doing um, YouTube videos about this, okay? Let's hashtag this and put our names involved as well because we're doing that really because we want to put our company name to the top. We're not doing that because, you know what? I don't want to tar everybody with the same brush here, but collectively a lot of people aren't doing those things because morally they think it's the right thing to do i completely agree with that and i don't have a problem paying many many brands with the same brush um i've i I work on the end i'm in marketing right and i know i have these conversations sometimes on a weekly basis where the conversations are how how can we appear to be more authentic or how basically how can we appear to care more um, literally is, is what people will ask me. And I'm like, well, first of all, you should, you should care more. So let's, let's, let's start there. But literally one of the conversations I've had, and I'm not going to dob anyone in or any, oh, I'll probably get sued, um, is not to make my life sound more glam than it is, but um, is it more powerful for us to talk around, you know, black dri- drivers or black lives matter or, you know, b- black people during black history month, or are we going to look like we care more if we do outside of that, literally a conversation I've had in the last six months where, hang on, why don't we talk, speak about this like over the summer so people don't think we're piggybacking on. And it's all, it comes all back to that horrible word, that the optics, how can we appear to be more authentic instead of actually doing things that help people? Um, you know, um, the other one that I hear quite a lot in like my generation and below is the 
diversity for the sake of diversity where you look at like if you if you split your business into like four levels of hierarchy the bottom two are all the diversity the top two are all you know straight white men right basically running the show um and yeah you can bolster the numbers and yes i understand it takes time and yes you probably don't want to hire people for the sake of it but at the same time if the thinking isn't there and if the intention isn't there you know, you, you're not involving people, the right people or um, uh, a well-rounded group of people. And, you know, they're, they're not in the room. They don't have a say in what's, what goes on. So um, it's still, you know, very much a, a white man's world in that that regard. Yeah. And do, and do you think then both, um, given that we've come into this with this kind of really stark message of, you know, profit is is king, and and change to what's making me profit today is is unlikely to make me profit tomorrow. Do you think maybe that the the message that actually diversity of all sorts, um, you know, whether it be neurodiversity, gender diversity, or racial diversity, that creates better teams, which creates better businesses. Do you think that message just isn't getting across then? So so forget about the the moral message of, of all those things just being the right thing to do you know is business just not listening or, or or the message just not getting there i feel like this might be the theme of today but why should they again why should they? <laughs> they're, they're being successful they're, they're successful companies they're thinking why should they but come on we talk we're, we're in similar fields you and i Ian. so we we talk about evidence-based so like you've just said something at the moment are they missing something because obviously they'd, they'd be in a better position if it was more diverse and it was more equality but it's not that so how do you know mm. we we know we do know but this is the mindset of people that we, we're working against at the moment. It's, well, how do you know it's going to be better? How do you know I don't already have the best people in the room? And that's what we happen to fight. It's not even, how do you know I've not got the best people? It's, uh, we're doing we're doing all right. Again, it's, I, I kind of keep coming back to this 10 million okay. thing for as long as you, you go back to why should they? Like, it's... Uh, you know, I could t- turn my 10 million into 20 million or I could lose it all. You know what? I'd rather mm-hmm. just keep it. I'd rather just, you know, let's keep doing what we, we're doing. Um, and honestly, I think it comes back a lot of it, not to politicise what we're doing, but it, it comes back to how we see, like, the government run in our country or around the world or, you know, in, in the West mm-hmm. where, uh, and other things in where someone will do something bad and people, everyone will talk about it for two weeks. And then it'll blow over, right? And then, then it becomes a meme and it just kind of, you, you think about it, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of way, uh, you know, a lot a lot of the time, that's the way that these business owners, was, or, or again, I'm generalizing, you know, I'm not a business owner, mm-hmm. but I imagine that that's kind of a similar sentiment to what they carry where they go, you know what? Yeah, everyone's talking about diversity now. In two years time, will be something else. Let's just keep going. And yeah, you know, if it benefits me to say that, you know, my, my business is 5% more, diverse than it was last year because we hired another black guy or we hired a few more women then great you know I'll, I'll chuck that on my website and everyone will buy my product but apart from that don't you dare come here and telling me i need to do a massive business up even if i'm not going to see any returns because I'll, I'll love you at the room or or i'll agree with what you're saying and then i'll make a re you know i'll give you a ton of more work so you can't you can't actually action any of that yeah um unfortunately is the reality that i see yeah. It's what I'll, I'm just going to put that at the end so I don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I've certainly been in, in lots of situations and been in, in rooms where 
Um, there's been very senior people and, and business owners. Um, and there's certainly, my experience isn't that they don't want to do things. I think there's a number of things going on there. Number one is, what's what's the sort of hot potato they're having to deal with today? Is it how quickly they've got to pick up the phone to customers? Is it the number of complaints they're dealing with? Is it the cost? Is it the budget? And all of those things. And then you get you get asked a question about diversity and you may you may well find yourself in a bit of a corner there as to how to answer it and then you you come back with a, an ill thought out answer as to well you know we've got great diversity in accounting or we've got you know we've got the numbers there and and, and it's just you're in that defensive position where you're trying to answer something and you're doing a number of things not very well because you've got so many different pressures and that's not to justify it or to explain it away, but certainly in, in my experience, there's a lot of that going on where you just got so much to do, so many priorities being thrown at you, and you're keep trying to keep your job, essentially. Um, and and it, will, will you keep your job by spending money on diversity, or will you keep your job by spending money on customer-driven metrics or something? tangible isn't it so you know you're, you're gonna have to justify any outgoings of your spend and you can justify that in terms of performance but when it's something like diversity where there is no real measure so we, we touch on diversity and equality if i ask you both so what is that what does that look like in the accounting room what we just said a moment ago what does that look like people say oh to me that looks like this needs to be a black person an asian person a, a woman a man that's diversity that for me that's not diversity it's not, I'm going to go out on a limb here, guys, bear with me. So diversity for me is that people are prepared to be diverse. So what they've done, like that room could be fully white. However, they've interviewed people and they were prepared mentally to give anyone that job. But the best people happen just to be white. That for me doesn't make the room non-diverse mentally. We might see something different, yes. but diversity is more than what you see. If that person's gone into that interview process and has the best people for the job in that room and they happen to be white, they haven't done anything wrong. But it's giving people I, the equal chance. I, I I agree with that to an extent. I think the only that my the only bill that I want to kind of highlight for me is it depends on the job. And and maybe that goes back to you know you being prepared for, to hire the right person for the job. Yeah. A defining factor as to why I hire someone might be that they're a woman or that they're black or that they have a disability because I feel like it'll, they'll therefore empathize with people in a better way or they'll think about things like X or Y. Um, so I think and I think to an extent there needs to be there needs to be more actual diversity um, in, in terms of experience as well and, and how people have grown up in the decision making room as well. Otherwise, those voices just won't get heard. Um, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I genuinely don't think there's a way that, you know, if it was a group of white men, just to use that example, because that's probably what we'll come back to yeah. um, in, a, in a room, I feel really bad saying it. But if, if that's our example, um, I don't think there's any way that they could actually empathise with people, you know, um, coloured men or, or women in, in the way that some other um in the way that colored men or women could but yeah. you know for some jobs that's okay but for other jobs that might be a defining factor in success and what that looks like i think in a utopian world in a perfect world and we went through all these battles that's what equality and diversity would look like to me we're not in that world 
So that mm. cannot happen. It cannot. And not what you're saying, what I was saying cannot happen. We need to see representation. So you're completely right in what you're saying. So my example previously is in an ideal world, that's what real diversity would look like, that you've got 20 people who are white in that boardroom. You have the trust to know we live in a fair world and the fair process has happened. We don't live in that world, guys. We, we actually don't live in that world. So we do need the representation. We do need those people, whether that be a woman, whether that be a person of colour, show having empathy and understanding that different people need to be put into those roles because I'll go out on a limb here. Um, Middle-class white men cannot do that. And like, it's not, you know, that's not an ability thing. That's an experience. They, they cannot have that empathy. Like, I'll never be able to tell you how difficult giving birth is. I can't, you know, I just don't have that experience. So I have to put my hand up to say that, but we need people in the boardroom to say, I've got to put my hand up to say that I actually need a person of colour, a woman to actually help me make those decisions too. Yeah. I'm just going to, exactly what you said, sorry, I'm not (laughs) ignoring that. So so, so bringing us back then to the the topic of today then, which is, you know, the the difficulties or the, the... what doing nothing looks like. I'm really interested in in what you both define that as. So, so, so Virun, coming to you first, if you don't mind, what's what's your definition of doing nothing in in, in as far as diversity and inclusion is concerned? Um, yeah, I, I've given this some thought, and uh, for me, it's around it's it's the passive rather than the active. So. Okay. And there's different levels. It's going to sound really stupidly, not pro- not even profound, just dumb. But <laughs> I feel like there's different levels to doing nothing. So there's doing nothing in terms of uh, I am not thinking about it, not learning about it, just either choosing to be ignorant or choosing not to involve myself. You know, the, the displacement and the bury my head in the sand. It's not my problem slash I compartmentalize and live in live in this utopian world I made for myself or whatever it is that's that's doing nothing probably it's I'd argue in its worst form um and then conversely then there's a level of doing nothing where you do learn about it you do open yourself up to feel feel things to 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 know what's going on to some extent but you don't support people um I think those for me those are the two the the only kind of two differences I can see like and some people will live in the middle of that um then there's obviously like doing something in a bad way, doing something in a good way, but we, we don't, we just don't have the time to get into that. But I, I, I'm not sure which one's better or worse. You know, is it, is it better to be a self-aware idiot or, you know, bliss or whatever the phrase is, you know, like, um, so I don't know, but um, I've already forgotten the question. So I'm going to pass it to remain. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so far. Um, but I think there's two sides to doing nothing. I think we're in a world now that if you're in a position where you're doing nothing, be prepared to be called out. And this is what I'm encouraging people to do now. So if you see something, call it out every day. I speak to my girlfriend, I speak to my partner and I'll say, every time we go out, I'll experience an element of racism, something that someone wouldn't wouldn't necessarily see unless the the me, you know, a Mm. person like me. So these people in these roles now, I'm in the boardroom, I hear the comments, but these guys are making these comments because they know they're not being called out. So the flip side for me now if these people are going to do nothing, be prepared. And I imp- encourage people and feel empowered to call these people out because sometimes people don't want to change. But you know why a lot of people will change? Because they'd rather not have the embarrassment. Hmm. 
So the comfortableness and the confidence to be able to say something, but when that middle-class white guy, sorry, Ian, when, <laughs> when he's been called out previously, he thinks to himself, well, I'm not really going to go there again. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a tactic, but it's something that I encourage, I'm starting to encourage people to do. Yeah. I think I touched on this in the previous podcast. I'm in a privileged position because I've worked hard at work and I am where I am. I do feel like I say things and I think to myself, would I have the same answers when I will say an agent on the phone? I'd, yeah. I'd hope so, but I'm not totally sure. But let's going back onto representation. There are people like me in the boardroom now. So I encourage all people of color, I encourage women, if they're hearing comments to, to, to say something, call those people out. Yeah. Don't need to embarrass people, but you can just call them out. If they're embarrassed by that, they're embarrassed, but call them out and understand. Help yep. me understand the comment you just made. I, I'd agree. I, Help me understand yeah. that. Help me understand. I, I agree. I think uh, we, we're seeing, I say we, like um, I work in social media marketing right now and you see a lot of the same thing happen on social feeds where people are too scared to express an opinion or a thought now because they're worried about being wrong all the time. Um, and it, it happened around, it started happening in earnest over the over the lockdown and the narrative started changing in terms of like, loads of people were coming out and saying, we shouldn't be shaming these people. We should be helping them understand and figuring out a different point of view and working and, you know, having an actual dialogue rather than shooting down everyone who, you know, tries to have an opinion because that's the only way we can actually, you know, move forward and, and have a chance of understanding each other. If you just laugh at someone slash berate them every time they do something that offends you. I mean, be, being offended, first of all, is just not, it's not an argument. But at the same time, if they, if they are doing something wrong that, you know, is, is, is a vice or attacking, then you just need to go, you know, hold the phone. This is, this is why I'm feeling like this or coming from this place and, and talk through it together. Because more often than not, they'll understand hmm. and they'll remember that conversation and they'll build on it and you know, for next time and they'll feel more comfortable speaking to you about it next time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's, there's, there's two, two different things there, I suppose, isn't there? There's, there's the person that is um, out, out and out saying things that are, um, totally unnecessary and, um, you know, just not in keeping with with the norms of, of, of today. And then there's the other person that just has a blind spot, um, whether it be the, the way they talk uh, to women in, in rooms or, 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 or whether they, the, the way they talk uh, to people of colour um, or, or about them, actually. Um, and I suppose for, for me, there's, there's definitely a fear of people saying things and therefore just not saying things, but but then you lose the opportunity to understand and to and to be educated. So I think there's there's a double reason I think for calling people out. And one is to call out terrible behaviour, but the other one is to call out where people have have blind spots, and those can be just you know areas that they just are just not aware of and, and you call them out on it and they kind of go oh wow okay tell me a bit more about that let me let me understand where you're coming from and, and they walk away from that conversation and you can bet they're telling 10 other people as a result of that yeah. as well yeah, yeah. yeah. the comments you, you touched on women there and um that one in the boardroom it kind of just goes not over, over everybody's head but comments that are made by men in the boardroom about women routinely and not even thought about. So I listened to some of the comments and I think, okay, let's flip that. Let's change woman for black. And the words that you use for black, you would never say those things. But because the boardroom is full of men, they get away with saying comments. I've done it myself in, in, in my past. 
So I've had to reflect on it to think, okay, then they're not really acceptable comments, but no matter where I go, no matter the, the people I'm around, the comments against women, the objectifying of women is present every time I'm in a boardroom with just men. I'd, oh, no. I'd wager every time you're in a meeting with just men, because I, I, I see and hear it all the time and I've lost count of the amount of times a day that I've, I've imagined or seen um, a woman have to bite their tongue because of mm-hmm. something that's they just you know it's 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 not it's not worth it. and again i'm i'm speaking on behalf of them i shouldn't but um yeah. whilst we're speaking about it yeah it's it's very depressing um it is and then, and then maybe that's us doing nothing when we bite our tongue then so we're just as much as part of the part of the problem you know what exactly exactly because you fall into that's not really my problem but then when you put yourself in that position, if everybody thought like that, well, I can't speak about racism. I can't. I need to put myself, if, if I'm going to be equality across the board, it has to be across the board. Mm. If, yeah. I can't objectify women. I can't, I can't speak about them in a certain way or degrade women or not treat them equally. And then on the next hand say, yeah, black people should be treated equally. It, it, would, make, it would make no sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so trying to trying to bring this around, then I'm I'm, I'm looking to look into the future and, and again trying to sort of think about the the positive sides of, of things. So with the, with the progress that we keep making, and there's still so much more to do. But do you think, and and you know, look, obviously looking for your personal opinion here, is diversity something that can be fixed? Now, obviously, your definition of what fixed means is is you know, completely your call. But do you think it is something that can be fixed and, and therefore is talked about in schools as a historical blip or an historical issue? Or do you think we will we will always have an issue with diversity, whether it's race, whether it's sex, whether it's disability, whether it's, you know, mental health, we will always have that to deal with. Um, Romain, would you mind just starting us off? Yeah. And sound like a pessimist here, but I feel like we're going to always have it to a certain degree. Mm. Um, you touched on schools. I was out for dinner um, last night, last night, um, with my best friend and his little boy. His little boy is only five years old, and um, he was. I said, "What's your favourite subject?" He said, "History." I was like, "Great." Bear in mind the world we're in at the moment. This is a mixed race boy, and I'm like, oh, what do you like about history? He said, "Oh, I like about Henry the Eighth." He said, "I like um, Winston Churchill." And I thought, it's not changing, is it? It's really not changing because until it changes in the school, it's not going to change in the real world because you know hate hate is taught. Hate isn't something that we, we're born with. If you put a white child, a, a, a woman, a, a little girl, and a little boy, a white um, and a black child together, they'll play. There's, there's no hate. If you ask them to, you try the test, you ask anybody under five to describe somebody, colours would probably be the last thing they'll say. There's a clip on um, Instagram at the moment. I'll have to find it somewhere. And um, there's a little girl and she said, oh, her dad is a delivery driver for like Amazon or somebody. And um, the, the, he's gone away on business. Well, he's gone away from somewhere. And she shouts to her mom, oh, daddy's coming because she's an Amazon bus. And it, she runs out and she's like, he's not daddy, he's not daddy. And the little girl goes, no, he's not daddy. Daddy's, daddy's, daddy's bald, he's got hair. Dad's white, the guy's black. So this woman's gone and got this guy and took a picture of him and told that story. So this girl's only about four or five years of age. Yeah, yeah. But her description was, he's got hair, 
mm. that he's bold. He hasn't seen the yeah. colour. Yeah. Hasn't seen it at all. And so when at what point does she start seeing colour? At what point? Yeah. That that happens in school as well. That separation between two people happens in school. But not only does it happen, it happens in for me, it happens in a degrading way because mm. we get to look, okay, one side's great. And one side, actually, this is what happened to your people. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we're taught. Because we're not talking about the African kings and queens. We're not talking about the richest man who, who ever lived who was a black African man. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Winston Churchill, who majority of these people that we talk about, when we go back in history and we see their ties to racism, to the slave trades, they're there to see, but we still celebrate those people. Mm. Until that changes, I, I can't see much change. Okay. Thanks, mate. Um, I'm, I'm going to be uncharacteristically optimistic for a change. Um, <laughs> what? Is, I think like you. I know, it's really not, is it? Um, if my girlfriend's listening, she'll be thrilled. Um, <laughs> but it's not without its caveats. I, I agree with you, Romain, in terms of uh, it's not going to, until we change the way that we teach children, it won't really shift the dial because um, for me, the, the starkest reminder is that when we talk about the you know the rise of the British Empire where they basically invaded places and took over, it's called colonization. When you when you talk about it from like the Chinese Empire or or Genghis Khan, it's it's, it's called invasion, it's called what it is, right? So it's not celebrated in that same way. Um to shift back to my um promise of optimism, um I have been recently been doing a, a ton of research around like different generations um for for pure work purposes. Um and we, we get I, I'm just by interacting with like some people that sister sound with some people that I know that are significantly younger than me either like family friends or whatever um it gives me it gives me hope like the generations that are growing up now and I think it's it's because of the internet and the way they've been brought up and they're getting much more astute and they're, they're much smarter they at the same time don't care about race or gender um, but in a positive way, like they they couldn't give a shit if you're if you're black or white or not. They they really don't care, you know, what your sexual preference is like. What it, it means nothing to them. They'll respect it, and they you know they try to understand it and they try to be empathetic. But it it, it means nothing to them, and or almost nothing to them. And in a really positive way, and that that's what that's what gives me a spark of hope. When um, and I agree, it starts in schools where you know people will learn about those things from an earlier age. They'll become normalised, not demonised from an early age. There won't be as much stigma around mm -hmm. it, and there'll be more support around it. Um, and I think I'm, I'm hoping that's where we'll get to. I don't know how long. I think it depends on your definition of success and what good mm -hmm. looks like. For me, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a world where people, at the same time, don't really care but also care. Um, yeah. You know that kind yeah. of weird divide. Um, I don't know how long it'll take us to get there, but um i'm hoping i'm hoping it'll i think it's within our lifetime because i think to say anything else is kind of just shifting the buck a little bit and then it's uh immediately not my problem i'll leave that to like my, the next generation to sort out it's their mess um but yeah there's my that's my dose of giddy optimism. i think i think i think my curveball for that would be i agree with absolutely everything you say but the however for me is the issues at the moment is the construct, the foundation, what's been built. So if we imagine it is a rectangle piece of paper, the social contract construct is that this is it, it's the rectangle, it's that there. Everything else that's built inside it can't impact that rectangle. Until something can force their way out of that rectangle, it's just goodness happening in this bad rectangle that's been built. 
So I, that, that's the structure of the schooling. That's the structure of people in high positions, classism. So that's already been built. Unless there's like a revolution or unless there's some drastic change to impact that structure, it's just people in the middle thinking, yeah, things are better. Or the guys on the outside are saying, okay, but they're not. I, I agree with the curveball. I personally think that within our lifetime, we will see that rectangle turn into a circle of whatever the fuck people want it to be because it's not, it's not going to last. It's not going to work. I can't right. remember who for the life of me said it. I was speaking to someone, I might have mentioned it on the previous podcast a few months ago. And they basically said, we're waiting for that top layer of people to die. Um, me. Back, me. back to pessimistic fearing. <laughs> waiting for that top layer of people to die. It was um, me. So we can all just move on with the world. Was it you? It was me. There you go. You said it last <laughs> time. Waiting for the top layer of people to die so we can just get on with it because we're all ready for change in some way, shape, or form. And I think the younger you go down the generations, the, the hungrier they are for it. Because, and I remember being so disillusioned when I entered like, from university into the working world, like probably like 10 ish years ago, whatever it was. Um, when I had this vision of like how, you know, I did a humanities degree, so maybe it was my own fault, but how the world should and could and will would be operating and that people would be empathetic and all this kind of stuff and blah, 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 got there. It was just so like, I remember thinking, am I in the fucking 1920s or something? Um, and yeah, like if I'm that hungry for change, can you imagine someone 10 years younger than me that's going to enter the workforce soon or whatever it is? They're going to be there going, what the fuck is going on here? Who are these people like? We're still fucking around with Word and having problems with emails. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, I can't remember why I went on that rant, but I'm kind of bad at it. Good rant, yeah. Love your optimism. <laughs> um, so so just, just bringing us uh, to a close then. So final question. Um, with, with so many issues facing businesses these days, I mean, you know, even before COVID came along and really challenged us to, to look at work and the workplace differently with so many issues you know how how do we ensure that diversity and inclusion doesn't become you know a fad doesn't become something that you know there's a budget for it just like there's a training budget but it's you know there's there's not anybody super senior with a real amount of clout handling it it's very much a tick box exercise. How do we stop it from, from going down that road? Um, Virun, do you want to just jump in first? Yeah, sure. Um, I got a couple of thoughts on this. I'd say the first one is bake it into an actual business priority, like make it priority number one or two or something and just ladder things back up to it and invest in it. Appreciate it's going to take some time. Appreciate you might not see a return on investment in the way that you traditionally would look at a return on investment. I'd say the other side of it is put other people in charge slash empower other people. So you might want to do it from the bottom up and, you know, make some of the, the youngest people in your organization, the champions of diversity and you give them that autonomy. I, I don't know. However, businesses want to do it is up to them, but mix things up a little bit. If you've got clout at the top, that's probably not the place to start. Um, and that way you'll be doing things a little bit differently because this is a problem that requires us all to think a little bit differently about it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks, Baron. And Romain? Um, 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 um. So I would say, how to not make it a fad? I think Viren switched on it. I think you've got to act on it now. You've got to act on it now. And we spoke about representation earlier on in the podcast. So we need the right people in the right roles. And um, if you're continuing going through the workforce and we're not seeing diversity 
amongst the people that you're employing, you need to evaluate. And at this point, when we speak about diversity, we touched on measures earlier on. And I feel like you said, very enough, you said, what does good look like? That's a very good question to ask in the boardroom. So we talk about diversity. One, what is diversity? Two, where do we want it to be in three months? Where do we want to be in six months? And where do we want to be in nine months? We have, it, it, this is a project. We have to treat it like a project. We have to go back after three months and reflect on our goals. So can I give you what every company's targets and goals should be now? No, I can't. But I should be able to walk into every single company and ask them what their targets and goals are. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Okay, thanks, Romaine. Um, and and you know, for me, I think it comes back to a number of things that you've you've both said. But that that question, if we're still asking, how do we become authentic? How do we show that we care more? If we're still asking those sorts of questions without realizing, we just have to do it. If we if we do care, it's because we're doing the right things. Um, and we're spending the money and we're spending the time and it's not just a, a fad. It's not just a, a theme of a month or a day. Um, it's just how we do things around here. That's how we do it, guys. Um, and, and if we can move away from those sorts of questions, I think that's that's also a good start. So um, that's the end of the podcast, guys. Um, another great one recorded. Yeah, exactly. Um, like five minutes. <laughs> really um again guys uh really loved what you had to say um lots of um subtlety to to tonight's conversation but also lots of stuff that smacks me right in the face and that kind of blend i'm sure people listening to the podcast will will really enjoy and and learn something from and and you know take it into conversations that they'll have after they listen to the podcast so um as always i really appreciate your time particularly as it's, it's late at night um so that's that's the end of the podcast um and as always if if you like um sort of what we do at, at future leaders please subscribe to the what the future uh, podcast um and also you know we are a mentoring uh, program we're a mentoring business so if you're looking for a mentor um or if you want to become a mentor um please come along to um our website which is www.futureleadersmentoring.com or follow us on linkedin um but that's enough from me for this evening. Um, thank you both. And we will speak again soon. It's been a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Always. Pleasure as always.